You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It is so good to see you. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's good to see you. Hey. Awesome, awesome. Hey, as we begin this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to ask that you would extend your hand towards our flag this morning as we just pray God's blessing over our nation. How many of you would be okay if God intervened in our nation? Would that be all right with you? So once again, just the reason why we extend our hands is because it's symbolizing, God, we just ask that you would pour your blessing out, pour your spirit out. And I don't know about you, but I'd be okay if God did that today. Amen. Amen. So would you go on and do that? Let's extend our hands towards this flag. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for the history of revival that has taken place in this nation. And Lord, we ask, would you do it again? Father, would you just soften the hearts of our nation? Lord, we recognize that unity and equality can be found at the foot of the cross. And so, Lord, we ask that for our nation, Lord, that you would bind us together, Lord Jesus. Help us to show compassion to both sides of the political aisle. Lord Jesus, help us to be examples of unity. Help us to be examples of the kind of compassion and Christ-like love that you showed us, Lord Jesus. Help us as the body of Christ, more than anything, to not only achieve what you've called us to do, to go into all the world and preach the good news, but Lord, help us as the body of Christ to be an effective church, Lord Jesus. Now, Father, we ask once again your blessing upon our nation. We ask this through the precious and holy name, the name that saves, the name that restores, the name that gives us a a newness, Lord, and that's the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. We ask this. And everybody said, and everybody shouted, Amen. Hey, just a quick uh, announcement. I've been asked by a couple individuals how to uh, turn in your tithe. So obviously, in light of COVID, we've changed up the way that we uh, take our tithe. We don't uh, pass around the offering baskets any longer. But in the back of the room, you'll see a black box labeled tithe on the top. If you would just be so kind as to uh, uh, slip your tithe offering in that, that would be greatly appreciated. I also want to mention that um, our prayer team meets here every Wednesday, and any prayer requests that we receive in that box, we lay hands on those prayer requests. We pray over them by name. It's an and I just want to throw out a quick commercial if that's all right with you. If you haven't joined us uh, for our Wednesday night prayer, I want to challenge you. Come on out. I promise you, uh, you won't leave the same. I promise you that. And so I just want to encourage you, if you have any prayer requests, we would love to partner with you in prayer over that need. And so if you'd be so kind once again to just fill out a prayer request, uh, a card or envelope, and just go ahead and put that in the tithing. Uh, Uh, box, and we will pray over that this Wednesday. Are you ready for the word this morning, church? I just want to give you a heads up that today is going to be a little bit of a different, uh, 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 different method. And what I mean by that is sometimes you hear a sermon and it's like a, a preaching, hollering kind of sermon. And I love those kind of sermons growing up as a, as a Pentecostal. I love that kind of atmosphere. But then there's also some different kind of sermons where they're more uh, uh, equipping and studying. And I just want to give us a heads up that today we're going more the route of a teaching, having a, having a discussion. And specifically what we're talking about today is this principle that our nation needs Jesus. Come on, somebody. Our nation needs Jesus. 
And today I want to have a discussion on why it's important and what it means Whenever we make statements in the Christian community, when we say our nation needs Jesus, because here's one of the realities that I've come to face um, as, as part of the younger generation is there's many of those in my generation who believe that we can exist as a sovereign nation without God. There's many people in my generation who believe that we shouldn't impose or force biblical principles on a culture. So today I want to have a conversation addressing a couple of these very strong statements. And my hope this morning is, is a couple things. First, if you're in that category um, where you believe that, I just want to have a conversation with you. I want to talk about that line of thinking and the fruit that may or may not grow from it. And secondly, my goal this morning, if you are not of that line of thinking, and you say, Pastor, I don't agree with that at all, well, that's awesome, but you need to be equipped because there's an argument coming to your front door. There's an argument and a discussion that's coming to your front door, if it hasn't already. There's an argument and a discussion coming to your workplace, where we're heading down a direction, even more so, where there is a belief that is growing more and more that says, do not force your beliefs on me. How many of you have ever heard that? Show me a wave. Give me a hand. There you go. It's all around our nation. And we as the church need to be equipped and prepared to not only lash out. Once again, I, I, let, let, me, let me just put this in context. I'm not, I'm not giving you an argument so that we can sit there and shout back at them. How many of you know that that doesn't work? Calling somebody stupid and then trying to win them to Christ is not a good method. <laughs> and so this morning, I want to I talk about us having a discussion in love, but how we can have that discussion with others who are of this belief that we don't need God in our nation, that we don't need biblical principles in our schools or in our government. I want to talk about what that looks like if that were to come true. And I want to talk about this statement, America needs Jesus. And I want to talk about what that means. First and foremost, if you're ready this morning, say, I'm ready. First and foremost, this morning, I, I want to address one thing is there's many secular movements that are taking place in our culture right now. What I mean by secular movement is it's a godless movement. It's a movement that fights for goodness, but without God. It says we can achieve a good standard without having God. There are many movements right now that are demanding everyone's participation, but make no mistake, there is no discussion available within these movements about God. And the issue with this is I see many Christians who are aligning themselves with a secular movement, and what concerns me about this is as we align ourselves with a secular movement that, that says we don't need God, we're completely neglecting the gospel message which we are called to align ourselves with. Amen, pastor. We are neglecting that. And I just want to say this this morning. If you're going to join a movement, join the movement of the gospel. Because the gospel movement is more than enough. The gospel movement restores hope. The gospel movement in its true context, I'm aware that people have abused it, but in its true context brings unity. And often there's there's these conflicting run-ins that Christians will inevitably have when you align yourself with a secular movement. 
For example, one way of testing if a movement is true is to test its origin, destiny, and morality. Those three things must line up. Origin, where it came from, destiny, where it's going, and morality, the laws that it abides in. And you will find that in secular movements, these three things are constantly butting heads. Whereas with the gospel, we have origin, destiny, and morality, which always can be tested and holds to be true. Amen, church? Where Jesus said he was going, he went. Where Jesus said and where prophets said certain things were going to come from, certain laws, where the Son of Man was going to come from, it happened. And the morality, the truth that it claims has been tested a couple thousand years now and has always been tested, has been tested and proven to be true. But in a secular movement, you won't find that. You will find that where it came from was either a place that does not make sense or line up with where it's going, or the morality, meaning it will fight for one level of goodness, but on another level, it will be corrupt. So we test these movements. This morning, I want to talk to you about this statement, America needs Jesus. So why does America need Jesus? Why do we in the church say that? Well, first off, America needs salvation. Salvation is deliverance from sin and the consequences of it, and a relationship with God is restored through Jesus Christ, no one else. America needs Jesus because America needs saved. I know that that sounds pretty blunt, but here's the issue that we often run into as the church, is we say, if you act like me, you'll eventually find Jesus. That's not the way to, to, to lead somebody to Jesus. If you want to see behaviors changed, introduce them to Jesus, not behaviors first. Jesus will cause fruit to grow out of somebody's life, which will inevitably lead to restored moralities. This making sense this morning. I know that this is Christian Apologetics 101. I recognize that. But church, let's not forget that right now we're in the middle of a virus that could have been taken care of if everybody would have washed their hands. We often forget simple truths. Praise God. And this scripture that I'm about to discuss, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Peter's being mocked by a secular crowd. They're mocking Peter, and they're calling him into question, specifically in regards to Jesus' second coming. They're making what we would call sarcastic remarks in today's culture. What's taking God so long? Why isn't God here? Why isn't Jesus returned? And Peter gives this beautiful response. He says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. But He is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I want to talk to you about how beautiful this response is. What Peter is alluding to is he's saying Jesus hasn't returned and that's grace on you. Because if Jesus did return and you're in a Jesus-less state, godless state, you would enter into his judgment. And therefore, the very fact that he hasn't returned is a testimony of his grace. Furthermore, Peter gives this beautiful statement. 
He says that God desires that none should perish. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in our culture, images of God are portrayed as a hateful, critical, revengeful God. That is not the God that I serve. The very fact that he hasn't returned right now, given the fact that roughly around 4 billion people have never once heard the name of Jesus, is grace. But I do want to say this, church, that there's a company that I follow who specifically they produce Bible translations. And by the year 2030, they will have a translated Bible in every language. The day is coming when all will have the gospel message available to them. Make no mistake, that day is coming. There are things that are happening right now in preparation for it. But for just a moment, I want to pause and talk about a statement that is often made in church. And it's praying that the Lord Jesus would come back, and that's fine, I get that. But my point is this, let's not lose sight of the four billion people who have never heard, and if Jesus were to come back right now, they would experience eternal damnation. We often use Christianese, right, where we say they need saved, but we forget what they need saved from. And there is an eternal destination that is a reality. My point in all this, friends, is we need salvation to be at the heart of our message as a church. Amen? We need to make sure that we are intentionally looking to win a person and not an argument. We need to make sure that we are much like Peter's response was so graceful. He was so not only intellectually on point, but he was full of grace in this beautiful response. May our response to an ignorant culture always be with compassion, grace, and love. Not avoiding the truth at hand, but speaking the truth in love. Amen, church? A desire to see people receive salvation must be at the heart of our roar as a church. Must be at the heart of our voice. Why does America need Jesus? Because God desires that his creation turn to Jesus in salvation. And if it's God's desire that none should perish, it should also be our desire as a church. Amen? Come on, somebody. Our desire should be that as well. I heard an atheist say one time, he said, I've met many Christians, but I don't think they believe the message that they claim to believe in. When he was challenged and they said, why would you make such a statement? He responded by saying, because if I believed what you believe, you believe that there's a, re a reality in, et in eternity after this life, correct? The Christian man said, yes. You believe that never-ending, Eternity to the fullest extent, eternal damnation in heaven exists beyond this life, correct? Christian said yes. And you believe that the only way to heaven is a scripture where Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me, correct? He said yes. He said, I don't believe it because I don't see Christians 
desperately trying to reach their world. And here's the statement that he made that keeps me awake at night. The atheist said, if I believed the message that you claim to believe, I would crawl on my hands and knees until every person heard so that they would escape this eternal damnation. Wow. America needs Jesus. Why does America need Jesus? Because, friends, quite frankly, Jesus is our only hope for true transformation to take place. Jesus is our only hope for transformation to take place. Jesus can and does transform any category of people. Here are some examples of categories of people transformed in the Bible, which, by the way, I just want to encourage you this morning. Sometimes we look at our Bible as these kind of mythical stories, right? But I want to encourage you that this Bible is full of real-life, individual, personal experience testimonies. Testimony category number one was, well, um, first, all 11 apostles (laughs) were reached and transformed. This category of people was 11 apostles. They were your common men. Blue-collar workers. Can I just tell you this morning that Jesus transforms what we would call normal people? Secondly, the woman at the well. This was a woman who made many mistakes in her life and they hung over her head and then she has an encounter with Jesus and is transformed, goes back to her town, guiltless without shame, and says, let me, come and, come and, uh, let me introduce you to a man who told me all that I had ever done wrong. She went back to her town preaching. That's a transformed life when somebody shows up to a well having guilt and shame, being timid and afraid to talk, and runs back to the town to tell somebody about Jesus. How many of you would agree that Jesus touched that person's heart? Secondly, the man possessed by demons living in a graveyard in the book of Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 20. My point is this, is that Jesus can transform demonically oppressed people. Oh, come on, somebody better get excited about that. Do you understand that that means that no matter what stronghold the enemy has over an individual's life, no matter what kind of demonic oppression they may have, no matter what has been weighing on their shoulders that the enemy has been trying to keep them down with, Jesus still transforms people like that. Nicodemus, known as a religious man, And although many scholars would debate on if he receives true salvation, I would debate that he receives some level of transformation. The reason why I say that is because Nicodemus, a religious man, in one instance is standing there and he's a part of these religious men who kind of, well, not kind of, they do oppress Jesus, constantly coming against him. And in one moment, Nicodemus is calling Jesus into question, and in another moment, he's having secret meetings with Jesus to learn more about him. And then the last we hear about Nicodemus is he is helping prepare the body of Jesus to go from shouting and calling into question the Savior to preparing his body, something took place. Some level of transformation took place. My point is this, is that Jesus transforms religious people. People who are just kind of going through the motions, don't have that genuine relationship with Jesus, there's still opportunity for Jesus to get a hold of them. Saul of Tarsus, one of my favorite testimonies in the Bible, goes from killing Christians to being one. 
goes from killing Christians to being an evangelist. That's transformation. When somebody once put to death an individual for claiming to be a believer in Jesus, to being the person claiming to believe in Jesus, that's transformation. And can I tell you that Jesus can still do it in 2020? Zacchaeus, another one of my favorite testimonies. Top three. You're going to hear me say that uh, statement a lot. Favorite testimony. Zacchaeus, to put it bluntly, is a politically corrupt, manipulative thief and liar. Did I miss anything? And that's me putting it lightly, friends. And then he comes to know Jesus. And this politically corrupt, manipulative man stands up at a dinner table and says, I'm going to repay everyone that I've done wrong to. That's transformation. Jesus can still do it and still does in 2020. Church, don't look at the world as hopeless. Look at the world as an opportunity and a testimony awaiting. I want to encourage you, if you're taking notes this morning because you're one of God's anointed, everybody knows the best houses in heaven are those who took notes. Amen. I want to challenge you this morning. People are pulling out their iPhones. I'm taking notes, Pastor. I want to encourage you to write down a YouTube video series titled I Am Second. Beautiful testimonies from different, what we would call stars in today's generation. If you're into UFC and the MMA arena, there's one MMA fighter who talks about the night that he tried to take his own life and he hung himself and his brother ran into the room and got him down. That Sunday, he found himself in the aisle of a church lifting his hand to receive salvation. And he talks about the transformation that took place in his life. If you're familiar with the music industry, then the band Korn, you must be familiar with. Korn is very heavy metal, and I, would, I, I could tell you stories of things that have happened at their concerts that would make you tremble. Brian Head Welsh, one of the bass players for Korn, had a moment where they had a song where the lyrics talked about doing cocaine, and his four or five-year-old daughter comes running through the room, repeating those lyrics, glorifying doing cocaine. And in that moment, Brian Head Welsh had an epiphany. He said, there has to be more to life than this. This isn't how I want my daughter to be raised. Long story short, Brian Head Welsh receives Jesus in his life. And the lead singer, as a result of this, he says, I'm still going to be in this music industry because I want to be a witness. And at different concerts, they have offered altar calls. And they have convinced the lead singer to change lyrics of their songs. Transformation is still taking place in 2020. Don't count my God as down and out. I want to encourage you to check out those testimonies. Why does America need Jesus? Because biblical morality is necessary for a healthy country. 
I'm going to say that one more time. The reason why America needs Jesus is because biblical morality is necessary for a healthy country. As it was already mentioned in the video that we showed this morning, Psalm 33 verse 12 says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. It's obvious in many ways that there's a movement right now that says we don't need Jesus to be good. I've often heard from the Christian, the Christian sphere of people who have made statements that say we shouldn't force our biblical principles on a society. I would argue that if you truly love people and you truly have their best interest at hand, that you would see biblical morality as necessary. And I want to explain this for just a moment and talk to you about how dangerous this line of thinking is. Here's why this line of thinking is dangerous. First, biblical morality in worldview is built upon free will. Here's what I mean by that. When you remove a belief system that is predicated on free will, it will be replaced by a belief system that does not offer free will. I'm going to say that one more time. Biblical morality is built upon free will. You and I have a choice to follow it. As a matter of fact, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, John 3.16, specifically discusses free will. Whosoever believe in him, the choice is yours. Biblical morality offers free will. When a nation decides to remove biblical morality, which guarantees that you will always have the free choice to believe it or not, it will be replaced by a belief system that does not offer you free choice. Secular worldview does not teach us to respect one another. For example, the biblical worldview is set so steadfast in free will that the biblical truth that we find in the Word of God tells us to love our enemies. It gives us so much free will and teaches us so much respect towards those who don't believe the same that we do that the Word of God still tells us to love them and to treat them as equal. A godless worldview does not offer this. A godless worldview says you will agree with us, affirm us, or you will face the consequences. When we remove a belief system that guarantees free will, it will be replaced by one that does not offer free will. The line of thinking that says I'm forcing free will on somebody is illogical. It's kind of like you when you were younger and you were testing out the limits with your parents. I know who you are. And you're testing out those limits and your mom said, don't touch that stovetop. Some of you, like me, wanted to know if she really meant it. And you still have the scars today. I offer counseling too. It's kind of like looking at your mom or your parent that said, don't touch that, and you kind of looked at them and said, why do you not love me enough to let me burn myself? It's kind of like that. 
when we look at biblical morality and we say, stop oppressing me with freedom, it just doesn't make sense. This line of thinking that we don't need God to be good or this line of thinking that says we can't force biblical morality on people is a dangerous way of thinking because morality must have a consistent standard. When we make morality subjective, meaning we choose what morality is, can I warn you that Hitler did that? When we take a universal standard for morality out of the equation, which is objective, and we make morality subjective, we are following in the footsteps of the most famous dictators of all time because they removed the equal standard, God's standard, and they began to switch up what they liked and didn't like based out of personal feelings, that will always lead to destruction. Because when man says, I can do better than God, man is following in the footsteps of what I believe are demonic, demonic oppression footsteps, way of thinking. Morality is beautiful when it's placed on God's standard, subjective, sorry, objective. When it's objective, it gives us this level playing field, not based off of feelings. And once again, God's moral standard, I, I heard an atheist say one time, he said, in the atheistic worldview, there is no explanation for morality. Because by all standards, the atheistic worldview, a secular worldview, says survival of the fittest, Right? In science class, we're, we're kind of taught this Darwinistic worldview that says survival of the fittest. And when it becomes about surviving, if that's the standard, I can make some heavy statements right now, but I'm going to refrain. It's a dangerous standard. But how beautiful it is when we follow in God's standard. Because here's the reality, friends. He knows what brings health to his creation. And when his creation stays in the parameters, when we don't touch the oven top of sin, you receive the blessing of not having burn marks. Is this making sense to you this morning? The line of thinking that says, I oppress somebody with free will, is illogical. And now more than ever, we need the body of Christ aligning ourselves with the gospel movement first off. And being unapologetically and unashamed to live by his standard. Come on, somebody. Our nation needs Jesus because our nation needs the standard of morality that comes with knowing Jesus. Once again, our objective isn't behavior modification. I, I just got to bring it back around to this. Our objective is witnessing. Our objective is reaching the lost. Amen, church? Come on, smile and tell me that you're happy. Y'all are looking depressed this morning. How does America come to know Jesus? Mike, would you come? 
How does America come to know Jesus? Evangelism must be the roar of Christians. Evangelism must be at our heart. Evangelism is, is a topic that kind of got swept under the rug. You know what I'm saying? For those of you who have been around in, in church since you were younger, grew up in the church, do you remember evangelism night where you'd get some of the best tracks that your church had? And we would run around on the streets and here's a track, here's a track, come to know Jesus, and we'd kind of walk away. And that was during a day and age when we were, when we were living in a Christian worldview where people who didn't believe in God knew about God. When people who didn't believe in Jesus still knew about Jesus. Generation Z, the next generation that's coming up, is being claimed they are called the first post-Christian generation in America. What that means is that when you and I say, well, the Word of God says, it means nothing to them. It means that the stories of Adam and Eve, the basic Bible 101, David and Goliath, the story of the cross, they've never heard. When you bring it up, there's no recollection, there's no connection. And can I tell you that in some ways this is beautiful? Because they get to hear it for the first time. Don't lose hope. Evangelism is still necessary. It just looks a little different in 2020. For example, evangelism is going to require more one-on-one -on -one relationship. We can no longer hand out a track, hope that they read it, and walk away. The track means nothing. But a relationship does. As a matter of fact, the generations coming up after mine and my generation are crying out for personal relationship. You know why? Because um, this has taken away personal relationship. And so with technology arising, and I thank God for technology, even though I don't know how to work a lot of it. Thankfully, God gave me a beautiful wife who is technologically inclined. I am not. Even though this poses some problems, this also gives us an opportunity. Friends, evangelism has to be our heartbeat. It just has to. How do we reach, reach the, the world around us? Well, evangelism, how do we witness? How do we tell others about Jesus? First and foremost is this, preaching the gospel message. What is the gospel, pastor? It's the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That simple. Sometimes we overcomplicate it and we get in these theological... Just stop, basic, bring it back. Life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And I'm specifically talking about the gospel this morning. And I'll explain why in just a second. Mark 16, verse 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. There's an assumption within this statement that you will speak the gospel. Friends, we in the church community have gotten really good at using these Christian phrases to prolong or get out of responsibilities. Well, I'm just waiting for the right time, Pastor. I get that. Sometimes you're called to plant seed. And the most 
annoying thing about planting a seed is that it doesn't grow right in front of you on day one, right? And sometimes we like that, that phrase in church. We're like, I'm a seed planter. Oh, Lord, that is a difficult ministry. I was in youth ministry for eight years full time. All I did was plant seeds. And friend, I got tired. Sometimes, yes, you're called to plant seed. But can I just encourage you this morning? Learn the art of making now the right time. With the Holy Spirit's prompting, of course. With the Holy Spirit leading us, of course. He'll give you the right words to say at the right time. He's good at what he does. But it's through simple statements that we can open up conversation. And that's what I'm talking to you about this morning, church, is we have got to open the door to conversation. Too many of us are silent. I'm waiting for the right time. I'm waiting for the right time. Well, friend, what if that right time doesn't happen? And what if the next day the person that you wanted to talk to gets in a car accident? We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed the next hour. I'm not guaranteed the next 60 seconds. Now's the right time. I took an evangelist out to lunch one time, which is always a dangerous thing to do. And this evangelist had such a beautiful way of opening up spiritual conversations. Do you want to know the incredible, theologically sound, difficult question that he asked our waitress that prompted them to be open to spirituality? Are you ready for this? How was your holiday? After Easter, he asked our waitress how her holiday was. He asked her, what, what did you do for Easter? She said, hung out with family. And he began to share, yeah, I went to church. And do you go to church? Five minutes later, he's presenting the gospel to her in the most non-invasive way. Just genuine relationship. That's who I want to be. Amen, church? Not punching people in the face with the Bible. It doesn't work. How do we witness? And this is the most difficult through your life. Your life speaks a testimony unto itself. And this is the most difficult way to witness. I want to warn you now because the standard is difficult. His Holy Spirit will help you. His Holy Spirit will empower you. Next week we're talking about what Holy Spirit empowerment looks like and I'm so excited but I just want to warn you that this is a very difficult way to witness but it's necessary. We have got to live out what we claim to believe. Amen, church? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That is a nice way of saying, let people see the way that you live and say, I don't know how they live to that standard unless God is with them. That's the standard that we're called to. Next, how do we witness? By defending what you believe and knowing why you believe in Jesus. This means studying the Word of God. I've been talking about this for a couple weeks now, and I, I don't mean to sound repetitive, but friend, please understand that the generations coming up and the generation and day and age that we're living in here and now does not only want to know what you believe, but why you believe it. And that's my way of saying they're going to challenge you doctrinally. It is important to know not only what you believe, but why you claim that what you believe is truth. And that should give you comfort. If you're sitting here and you're like, oh, pastor, oh, man, I can't do that. None of us can with his help. 
but it should give you comfort because God enables us. And secondly, God's word is truth. So proving it to be truth is a beautiful thing because his word leads us in all truth. How do we witness? By discipling others. This takes time. Everybody say time. Come on. Say time. Everybody say time. Something that we don't have a lot of in 2020. Phones constantly going off, right? Text messages blowing up. Every time you check your phone, there's more emails. Maybe work calling you in, even though you weren't supposed to go in. And the conversation just, and then there's the kids' sports schedule. Oh my goodness. I am not looking forward to that. My daughter is three years old. Next year, she's going to be eligible for different sporting events, and I am terrified. The practices, the games, the rehearsals, the school schedule. But witnessing takes time. Discipleship takes time. Matthew 28, 19, as we close. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Would you stand up across this place? My point this morning is this, friends. There's a lot of ways to witness. Let's not get stuck on one method. Amen? Let's not get stuck on one method. Amen? There are many ways to witness. My challenge to you this morning, test them out. Test out, and here's, here's a dangerous request. Test out the one that makes you the most uncomfortable first. I was the kind of kid who always wanted to test the limits. I was the kind of kid when somebody said, oh, that pool's deep. I wanted to find out how deep. It was always an adventure. My daughter right now, my three-year-old, is analytical, and it has thrown me through a loop. When we arrive at a park, I was the kid who was testing out all the dangerous things first. My daughter's sitting back, and she's like, I don't know about that, Dad. It's pretty bad when your dad is teaching you that the dangerous things are the fun things. I love adventure. And I'm forever going to make this statement. If you're bored with Christianity, you're not doing it right. Christianity is an adventure. Man. When you're on a flight going to uh, Columbia, for example, when I was on a flight going to Columbia for, for a missions trip, I was not sitting there going, boring. <laughs> When I got off the flight and all the Colombian people were looking at me like a sideshow because I was the first ginger they had ever seen, it was adventurous. Christianity is one of the greatest adventures when done right. And friends, as we close this morning, in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes, and we're going to hold each other accountable today. We're going to make a promise to the Lord today that we're going to start taking action steps to be a witness in the world around us. I want to encourage you today. If you're bored with Christianity, there is so much more ahead of you. There is so much more that is ready to, to be experienced and lived out. And as we close this morning, that's what I was going to say. Let's be a witness. Amen, church.
True independence is found in pure dependence on God. True independence and freedom is experienced in complete dependence in Jesus. Amen, church. Amen. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes with me this morning? And I'm going to ask in just a moment, if you're ready to be brave and test out witnessing in a whole new way like we've discussed this morning, I hope that you've come to recognize that, yes, our nation needs Jesus. But I also hope that you recognize this morning that you're called to bring Jesus to our nation. And so if you're ready, I want you to, this isn't a promise to Pastor Donnie. This isn't a promise to C3 Church. This is a promise, a covenant between you and God. I believe that God is calling C3 today to take up the initiative and say, yes, I will, Lord. When he's calling on us, saying, who will go? I believe the Lord is prompting us this morning to say, will you go? Will you be my witness? So in just a moment, without anybody looking around, respecting one another's privacy and right to privacy, I'm going to ask, if, you're, if that's you, I'm going to ask you to just raise a hand in the air in just one second. It's not a hand towards me. There's just something special specifically powerful when we take an action step to the Lord and say, here I am. When we lift our hands, it's symbolizing an eternal, or excuse me, an inward response, which is, yes, I will, Lord. So if that's you this morning, you're ready to to live out this adventure. I'm telling you, there's going to be times where it's challenging. There's going to be times where you're going to sweat, maybe blood, sweat, and tears might go into this. But can I also tell you that it will be the greatest reward that you've ever experienced here on earth and in eternity. That's what the Bible says. So I want to challenge you this morning. If that's you, without anybody looking around, would you lift a hand towards heaven? and saying, here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. I will be your witness. Here I am, Lord. At my workplace, in my home, everywhere I go, to the store clerk, to the person, the gas station attendant, whoever it may be, if that's you this morning, would you lift a hand up high saying, here I am, Lord. Father, I thank you for every hand that is raised here this morning. I pray your Holy Spirit anointing and empowerment upon them right now. Lord Jesus, help us this 4th of July weekend to always remember that this was the weekend when we were transformed, when we became an effective, anointed witness in our nation. And God, I ask that a year from now, when we meet back here on Independence Day weekend, I pray that it would be noticeable that there has been a change in Fogelsville, in Allentown, in Pennsylvania, in America, as a result of this body of Christ saying, yes, I will, Lord. Here I am, send me. So Father, I pray that you would stir that up in us. Now, Lord, as we leave this place, I pray that you would go before us. I pray that divine appointment after divine appointment would be made. Yes, indeed. But Lord, help us to speak your truth, Lord. Help us to build bridges, Lord. We ask you to do what only you can do because we recognize that there is an eternity at hand. Now, Lord, once again, I pray you go before us, prepare the way. Help us this Independence Day to be dependent upon you, Lord. Have your way. Now, Lord, go with us, lead us, guide us, work in us, yes, but work through us, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said, and everybody shouted, come on with authority, people, and everybody shouted, 
Amen. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. I just want to make one more reminder. If I've had questions about tithes, don't forget about the tithe box. But also, if you have a prayer this morning or even a testimony of something that God did in your life, we would love to either pray with you or join with you in that celebration. So if you'd fill that out and put that in the box, now go with the Lord. He's going with you. Amen, church? Amen. God bless you. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.